You're about to listen to Free Talk Live's Weekly Digest, some of the best segments from last week's Free Talk Live, as collected by super activist Benjamin Bartholomew. Don't forget, you can listen to every hour of Free Talk Live by going to freetalklive.com. Disturbing story to start things out here tonight out of Virginia, thinkprogress.org is reporting on a new Virginia bill that would bring back much of Virginia's infamous crimes against nature law months after federal courts struck down that law as unconstitutional. The proposal, which ostensibly would change the law to make clear that, quote, engaging in consensual sodomy is not a crime if all persons participating are adults, are not in a public place, and are not committing, attempting to commit, conspiring to commit, aiding or abetting any act in furtherance of prostitution, would restore felony penalties for minors engaging in oral sex and treat public sodomy differently from other public sex acts. In 2003... You know, this really... it's it's sad that uh, politicians don't in, you know in the worst economy that this country's seen in in many decades um, feel that the most important thing that they can do with their time is to throw consenting teenagers in jail for doing whatever it is that teenagers have been doing ever since they've been teenagers. Uh, I mean, I, I I'm not saying I think it's a great idea, but I'm pretty sure the families can handle these issues. Right. I mean, it's just sad that this is what people are spending their time thinking about. This is the pressing issue for uh, the congressman in this particular case. Virginia Attorney General Ken Cuccinelli is involved and uh, state senator in this case, Tom Garrett, are two of the people pushing for this. In 2003, the U.S. Supreme Court's Lawrence versus Texas ruling held that states may not ban private non-commercial sex between consenting adults. Virginia's Crimes Against Nature statute, which made oral and anal sex, and even between consenting married couples, by the way, a felony, was clearly the sort of legislation the court was referring to. Uh, Efforts to amend the law to bring it into compliance with the court's ruling were blocked by anti-LGBT legislators who preferred to keep the unconstitutional law on the books. So let me get this uh, straight. They actually outlawed some kind of sex for married people? That's correct. Anyone engaging in oral or anal sex would have been considered a crime against nature and a felony in Virginia. I wonder if anyone was ever taken in on this. Well, that's – yeah. Well, sometimes they – I know that they get young people all the time. They're always – you know. Young people foolishly take pictures of things they shouldn't take pictures of and send them to each other, and and uh, then that turns basically, you know, <laughs> to, turns two people below the age of eighteen into uh, child porn, uh, you know, photographers. And as far as the law is concerned, and that's a real problem. I mean, we've seen uh, kids, what was it thirteen and fourteen, uh, be charged with, uh, you know, battery on a uh, on a minor, mm-hmm. um, sexual battery on a minor or whatever, um, because they had sex with each other. The story continues here when a prosecutor used the provision of the law to convict a 47-year-old male for asking a 17-year-old female for oral sex. Just asking. Uh, The defendant successfully challenged the conviction by arguing the statute wholly is unconstitutional. After a series of unsuccessful appeals by the attorney general in the state, the law remains on the books but unusable. Senate Bill 14, authorized by Thomas Garrett, one of the state senators, would amend and reenact the law, attempting to use the old law's language to continue prosecuting cases of anyone who commits so-called crimes against nature in public, with minors, with animals, or for money. As a result, the bill would allow oral and anal sex between consenting adults in the privacy of their own homes, but would still treat any oral and anal sex in those categories differently from vaginal intercourse, thereby continuing to unfairly distinguish same-sex sexual behavior for harsher punishment. Back before the courts ruled the old language unconstitutional, LGBT and civil liberties advocates backed the step of incremental step of amending the law to protect consenting gay and straight couples from prosecution in their sexual relationships. But now the statute has been rendered unenforceable. This new version would represent a step backwards. Uh, former Chief Deputy Attorney General of Virginia, Claire Guthrie Gastanga, told Think Progress that her group opposes the bill in its current form because it leaves in place discriminatory treatment and doesn't address the underlying problem that LGBT people are treated differently than folks who have other kinds of sex. She also notes that anyone who encourages or asks another to commit a felony is automatically guilty of a felony. As such, while an adult having consensual vaginal intercourse with a 16- or 17-year-old would be a misdemeanor, an adult simply asking the 17-year-old for oral sex would be a Class 5 felony. 
Interesting. Yeah. So uh, this is what uh, Mr. Garrett thinks is the most critical issue that he should be pushing is people having consensual sex with one another and or asking for it. And he calls it a crime against nature. Is this what the state should be spending their time on? I realize, you know, there's criminals out there and everything, but shouldn't they be focusing on the ones that are actually hurting people? You know, I, I think it's it, it really it's it's odd here in the United States. In some places, uh, people can have sex. Um, you know, if they're over the age of sixteen or seventeen or eighteen, and one sort of has to check which geographic area one's in in order to be able to uh, you know see whether the law is acceptable. Um, so you can, for instance, uh, have sex at uh, sixteen years old, but you can't take video of uh, of the sex being had at sixteen because that's child porn. Uh, I mean, it it's really kind of a con- Confusing, a confusing morass here, um, and I, I just don't. I don't know. I mean, it's also difficult to, to nail down. So, under this law's disparate treatment of those engaging in public sex, which is usually a misdemeanor at most, those engaging in public oral and anal sex uh, would have to be concerned because the same sex, uh, a same sex couple spotted by law enforcement in a park engaged in oral sex would each be guilty of a felony. However, if they were caught having vaginal sex, they would not be guilty of a felony. It would only be a misdemeanor charge. That but makes a, sense, right? But but a um, you know an opposite sex couple that was doing that was uh, doing oral sex would also be guilty of a uh, felony. Uh, while actually an opposite sex couple would not be guilty of the felony. Okay, only same sex couples would. Oh boy, you following me yet? Um, uh, yeah, well yeah. you know, and them gay their, their gay sex is worse. Let's talk first with Dennis. He's listening in New Hampshire. Hey Dennis, you're on Free Talk Live. Greetings, folks. So, so the other day, um, someone called in and, and started a discussion about daylight savings time, and there was some crazy, foolish talk on this show about how great it would be to abolish daylight savings time, and I want to nip that idea in the bud. Okay, tell us more about did, that. You didn't hear me come out with that, did you? I don't remember if it was you or Ian or someone making some crazy comments. It might have been both you or, or one of the co-hosts, but at any rate, to set the record straight, Daylight savings time was actually proposed in the United States by Benjamin Franklin. It had actually been started in, uh, in France. And Franklin came over to the U.S. and proposed it here as a way of saving on candles. He was a very frugal and thrift guy. And, yeah, as it turns out, it, it really does work out very well, particularly for locations that are very north and quite cold in the winter. It does a lot to save on heating and electricity because of, taking advantage of the daylight. It's almost a no-brainer, really. Yeah, and what's it do? In the winter, I I always get it confused. So the regular time, standard time is winter time when uh, it starts getting dark at 4.30 in the afternoon. Um, And so daylight savings time, if you you moved, I think the recommendation uh, here that I'd heard on the show, and it wasn't from me, was to go to daylight savings time all the time. So therefore, when one fell back, um, in the fall, one wouldn't fall back, um, and it would be three thirty in the afternoon that the it would start getting dark. It, it would just make no sense because, yeah, if you if you never fell behind or you never sprung forward, you wouldn't be keeping track of where the sun is in the sky. That's the whole point. It's just following the sun. But there was an interesting uh, but, idea that was put out there. Hold on a sec, Dennis. Yeah. Why not just adjust your personal schedule to wake up when the sun rises and stop working when the sun goes down? Well, that, that kind of gets into the next idea, which was like just not like have every like not have time zones in the first place. Let's just everybody adopt whatever universal, you know, time. Yeah, Everyone Ian floated that one by. And the, I, that, I love that. I love I do that too. Because, <laughs> Anarchist that, standard time. <laughs> a lot on the internet. Yeah, really. If, if you work a lot on the internet or you do a lot of things where you're not in like a standard nine to five job, like I, I work with people all the time who are located in California and Britain, and India. Mm. And those three places are just about equidistant on the globe. And so if you're going to have a teleconference, there is no good time. Like, yeah. someone is going to get reamed. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'd like to point out, Dennis, that if you want to adopt UTC, I think this is what they call the, the universal time something. Time right? code. Time right. code. If you want to adopt UTC as the universal time, it's there. 
But the problem, well, one of the problems with people knowing what it is, is daylight savings time. Because I don't know whether UTC is five hours ahead on regular time and six hours ahead when I'm on daylight. Like I get confused <laughs> because of daylight savings time. So getting rid of daylight savings time is UTC, the adoption of UTC because I can figure out five hours, UTC's five hours from now, it's, if it always stayed five hours, but it doesn't. So It seems to me that changing the time is a big problem because there is an increase in accident car accidents. There is an increase of, well, you know, crap that happens, heart attacks even that happens, especially when you lose the, an hour of sleep, right? I, I understand Dennis's point. Dennis, I understand your point on like that. Sorry, go ahead, Dennis. <laughs> yeah, in the software, it's a real pain because it is doing time calculation that they really drill into you. You have to use these standardized libraries that are made available. Don't try to just add or subtract hours if they're actual dates because there's so many weird things to take into consideration. For example, you get places like Indiana, which was on daylight savings time for a while and then wasn't on daylight savings time for a while, unless you're up in Gary, Indiana, where they never use daylight savings time. <laughs> so you have you know, it's impossible to actually figure out the difference between two times unless you have this crazy table of all the exceptions. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of fun. So th- this is one of the reasons why people would want to get rid of daylight savings time. Now, I suggest that it would be getting dark too early if you did. You'd have to just kind of modify it and figure that out. But if it's going to get dark too, so, too early, it's then, so it's gonna get, then it's going to stay dark really late during the summer. Well, you know, I think the like the point about it costing more and like heating bills and stuff like that, th- there's some... That's an interesting point, and maybe on paper it looks that way, but Russia doesn't do – they have a permanent daylight savings time. Uh, Britain even, for I think it was in the 60s, for a couple of years at least, they ran without uh, – they had a permanent daylight savings time. And, you know, I mean, business went as usual. They only went back – Britain only went back, if I remember correctly, because – it messed up business with the rest of the world. And, of course, Russia never bothered because they just don't care what the rest of the world thinks. Obviously, we don't have to worry about saving on candles anymore. But if we are talking about saving on electricity or heating costs, then, again, why not just adjust your company's schedule or your personal schedule or whatever to, to do the business during the daylight hours? Dennis? Well, you know, one of the other just kind of crazy things with respect to uh, time zones and calendars and stuff that people may not be aware of. I, I think it was in, oh boy, it was 15, 15, I've got this right at my fingertips, 15 something, um, when they kind of figured out that they needed to have leap years and they never had leap years before. <laughs> right. this point. Uh-huh. And what they ended up having to do, oh yeah, it, it was uh, 1752. Um, no, no, the uh, 1582, something like one of those two. Basically, they had to like account for hundreds of years of, you know, no leap year. And so they just drop two weeks, just like that. <laughs> if, you look at, if you look at the calendar for that particular year, I, I forget, it was September, I think, of 1752, and there's just two weeks missing. And apparently there were, like, riots in the streets, you know, people wanted their two weeks back that had been stolen from them. Oh, well, for some people, they could have lost some serious money. So during all that time before that, was there always a February 29th or... What did it end on February twenty eighth? Because losing dropping two weeks would mean that the previous years had been too long. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So do you know was there was there always a February twenty ninth or did February? No, go? it would have been there too short, right? They've... No, because if they had to drop two weeks, that would mean the previous years were too long. So... Julius, Julius Caesar swiped a uh, day from February, as did Augustus Caesar, but making both August and July and August thirty one days. This is very interesting. (laughs) Dennis, thanks for the call tonight. And if you're going to go online, I recommend, I, Brian Sovereign, as the golden stallion of the tech world, recommend you use ProXPN. What is ProXPN? ProXPN, it's a global virtual private network that encrypts all of your online activity. Before it gets to the ISP, from your computer up, it's it's fantastic. Uh, I, I totally recommend it because that ISP can keep your data for at least six months, sometimes up to five years. And you can say, well, I'm not looking at anything crazy. What do I have to worry about? You don't know. The laws change all the time. The next, you know, it's seriously, I know this might sound crazy, but it could become illegal to go on Facebook, you know, because in China, guess what? It is. So how crazy is that? It's not. 
Uh, it so, did become illegal to go on a Bitcoin gambling website, right. Satoshi Dice. That yeah, was quite Satoshi popular. Dice. You know, which that, it did. I thought that it was just a concern that it was would be. Uh, well, it, U.S. IP addresses were blocked, but the U.S. government was actually um, there was some, there was some law that got passed. Hmm. Where, okay, I don't know if it got passed on the gambling sites themselves, and then they kind of handed that down to the customers. But there was some involvement with the U.S. Okay, government. yeah, and then the government could retroactively, you know, essentially put put it, you know sentence you for having gone to that website and you say, oh, I never went there. Well, yeah, you did you win, five years ago. <laughs> yeah, well, sure. But all the, the point is, is that you never know. Yep. And so you want that online insurance to know that you're encrypted. This is some of the highest encryption you can get as far as the VPNs go. They have servers all over the world. So this works all over the world. One account works for every device you've got. Okay, you don't have to buy an account for your Android phone. You don't have to buy an account for your, uh, you know, for your 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 Apple, whatever. It doesn't matter. You you, you just use it, and it works for everything. Uh, it's it's really a fantastic service. Uh, and if you go to proxpn.com/ftl, use the code FTL twenty, and you'll get twenty percent off the price. Whatever if you go with the monthly plan, or if you go with the annual plan, uh, which really, if you go with the annual plan, this ends up costing you less than a cup of coffee uh, a month. To, to run, to have this insurance. If you're concerned about your privacy, you really, you want to be using ProXPN, mm-hmm. and now they accept Bitcoin. And with Bitcoin, you get an even greater savings, 33% off. Uh, yeah, you really can't really beat no, it. There's really no excuse not to. They've made the price no. point so low, and they've made it so easy to get set up yeah, over they, ProXPN. And exactly. they even accept Bitcoin. So yeah, it, what do you... I mean, try it. <laughs> you really have nothing to lose. Yeah, you can try it out. But if you want to be able, like, even to torrent with it, whatever. And torrenting doesn't mean you're downloading illegal stuff. Torrenting can just be, nope. In uh, fact, it's just I an actually, efficient way to download stuff. Uh, yeah, I actually um, send and receive files through torrenting all the time in my voiceover work and stuff. Sure. So you can, you know, you can encrypt all of that with ProXPN. In the meantime, I think we'll continue talking about the couple that was convicted of uh, being Satanist, but not just that, because that's not specifically a crime, right? But they were convicted of doing all these awful things at their daycare that they ran, yeah. such as throwing babies in a pool with sharks, shooting kids, smuggling them to Mexico to get sexually abused by Mexican military quite outlandish claims and extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence so what was the evidence that they were actually well that's the thing on? is it doesn't require extraordinary evidence I guess not in the u.s uh, court system. uh but it's fran and dan keller uh and it was all the, the story continues it was frankly unbelievable except that people most importantly a texas jury did believe the kellers had committed at least some of these acts this is one of the reasons why i just don't trust juries I just yeah. don't trust them anymore. Yeah, I agree. really. Somebody leveled ac- accusations at people that included them feeding babies to sharks in their pool, and and the jury was like, "Oh yeah, that probably happened." Well, th- th- even if they say, "Oh well, that couldn't have happened," but they probably did something. Juries want to go home. They'll they're willing to split the difference. Well, they brought these charges. And, uh, the, the prosecutor must think it's uh, it's worth doing something. Juries don't take any responsibility for their actions, and they should. They, they should be responsible for their actions. As far as I'm concerned, if you convict someone wrongly, you should get as much time as you've convicted that person of. There should be some kind of culpability at the very least. And Well, probably if there was an actual free market uh, process for determining jurors or determining who is on a jury, there would be... Um, you know, account more accountability for jurors. And also, because right now, jurors are conscripted. And I don't know about you guys, but in business... One of the first things that I learned is that slaves aren't motivated to work. You know, the way to motivate someone to work is to treat them well and to get them excited about their job. And I'm sorry, but last time I got called for jury duty, I was told that I had to come under penalty of contempt of court. I would be thrown in jail if I didn't come. I had to stop doing the work I was doing where I could make about 100 times more money than I would have been paid to be sitting on that jury. Nice. They'll pay you. The pay was less than the gas would have cost me to get back and forth to the courthouse because it was actually an hour away. So, you know, uh. Figure that with the fairness uh, standards of having to have a car, basically, in order to get to this courthouse uh, so you can be on a jury. Uh, but it was just not a functional workplace as far as, you know, uh, my understanding of something like that. It was sure. not a very motivating situation to be in. And, and honestly, I mean, what qualifies? Listen, listener, what qualifies you to be on a jury? Have you studied this? <laughs> Are you an expert? 
Do you know the law? Well, but that, I, that's the whole problem is that people don't, they're not diligent anymore. They don't know. And people have a, never been diligent. <laughs> what evidence does anybody have that people have ever been exactly. diligent? I think that the evidence is, is that we are the same hairless monkeys that were running around 10,000 years ago, but this time we've got iPhones. That's it. <laughs> I, I mean, it, people are just as diligent this century well, as they were last yeah, century. Yeah, and there's no way anyone could keep track of all the laws and that anyone could keep keep track of everything that's going no. on. I mean, not only, it, it, not well, only but, that, but people don't even have basic training in philosophy, in logic, in ethics. Most people don't think about situations where, hmm, wh- how would I act in this situation? Would this be wrong or would I consider this the right thing to do? You know? Even if people uh, knew, uh, understood rhetoric better a hundred years ago, maybe, maybe let's, let's, get, let's grant that. The jury system's broken if it can't um, you know, change for the times. So, so people are messed up these days. Fine. They're dumber than they were. They don't know as much. They're not educated. Whatever. Let's grant that. But the jury system still stinks because it doesn't account for dumb, uneducated people. So either way, the jury system is broken and we need something better. Now, maybe, maybe uh, professional jurors is, is something that's come to mind. It's been brought up before. I don't know how that system would work. But one thing I know is the judicial system isn't going to change because it's a monopoly. And monopolies have a, the, you know, the, here's some characteristics of monopolies. They tend to provide poor customer service. They tend to be extraordinarily expensive. They tend to be very slow. Um, in reaction time, you, you, it's never going to change unless there's competition. And sadly, they even when even with arbitration, they still claim that they can. You know, the, the law they're above the arbitration. Yeah, I think there's another issue here that ties in too, which is why did 12 people believe that uh, Satanism exists and it's a threat, and that there were actually people out there who wanted to throw babies in pools of sharks? Now, Brian. Tell me more about this couple who was uh, running a daycare and was convicted of several satanic acts, as they were described. Yep, putting blood in the children's Kool-Aid, hacksawing them in feet. Oh, there is a lengthy, there's a lengthy list here. So, of course, can be checked out at the Facebook page for uh, for Free Talk Live. Um, But in 1992, the Kellers were convicted of aggravated sexual assault on a child and each sentenced to 48 years in prison. Jeez. The investigation into their supposed crimes took slightly more than a year. The trial only took six days. Wow. So was the evidence that kids said, oh, yeah, they molested me? Uh, Well, let's read on. Okay. Um, And now even the Travis County District Attorney agrees that the trial was unfair. Wow. I was thinking it's pretty hard to prove a shark in the pool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, they didn't believe all of them. The, okay. the, the jury didn't believe all of it. But, but yeah, there it's was kind of one of those situations. Look, if the kids are telling these stories, what must right. have happened? Right. right. Okay, so, so I'm, I'm going to stop interrupting you. Go no, ahead. that's all right. <laughs> After multiple appeal efforts and 21 years in pr- prison, the Kellers are finally free. Fran Keller, 63, was released from prison on November 26, 2013, on a personal bond just in time for Thanksgiving. Her daughter was waiting for her with a bag full of the first clothes that weren't prison issued uh, that Keller had seen in years. Dan who turned 72 in prison and now walks with a cane, was released on December 5th. This time, Fran was there to greet him. Uh, And they got divorced while they were in prison, apparently. Oh. Yeah. Uh, So the Kellers were released after the doctor who had testified at their trial and provided the only physical evidence that any sexual assault had taken place recanted his testimony. Wow. That's what it took. And it was the only thing. Again, this is this, this, this trial, six days, all happened very, very fast. Yeah. And with scant, scant information and scant uh, evidence. So this is another problem is, is you have a situation here where um, a person who's, so he's, he's, he's the, the linchpin as far as the evidence goes. This guy's testimony. Right. So if you want to hold this guy responsible, and it sounds like he's pretty responsible for these people being in prison. Doesn't it sound that way? Yes. Yeah. If you want to hold this guy responsible then you disincentivize him from taking responsibility. Yeah. So it's a really difficult conundrum. That's, uh, that's The ideal thing would have been to have those measures of accountability in place before he ever testified. But yeah, nothing's going to happen to him. And, and in fact, he probably got ahead in his career, just like a prosecutor, by saying, yeah, I've checked out these kids and they had Mexican whatever all over them, right? And It's, I don't know. It's wow. crazy. Well, it brings it leads into a, another point, which is how did this like how did people even believe half this stuff? And I'll read a little more of the story. Uh, 
Their release may also finally mark the end to one of the strangest, widest reaching and most damaging moral panics in America's history. The satanic ritual abuse panic of the 1980s and 1990s. It was a literal witch hunt. Keith Hampton, pro bono lawyer for the Kellers. We say witch hunt in this figurative way, but that was a modern day literal witch hunt. They really were after people who they thought were worshiping at the feet of the Dark Lord. Now, I mean, you know, I, I grew up in this time frame in the 80s and 90s. Yep. Sure. So and, I. and generally I treat them as being, you know, really because economically things were doing pretty good. And so it was a good time. Uh, but I, I know, I mean. I was religious at the time as a kid, and I was constantly being told, warned how Disney was was uh, you know messing with kids' brains and how they were they were slitting the throats of, of black uh, roosters you know in, in in the back of the studios and you know just all all these crazy. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, and and I remember Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, oh yeah, that dear, was in the seventies. Well, in the eighties, yeah, 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 it, it didn't die down. <laughs> no, I, they I kept remember- it up. My mother was afraid that there were subliminal messages in the music. Yep. yep. And she wouldn't let oh, me. Oh, backmasking. Yeah. She... I do that on my own show. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> right. I wasn't allowed to fall asleep with the radio on because the backmasking would be more, uh, would work more or something like that. They had everybody. They, they, they brought them into the Christian school where I went to school. They had a bas- backmasking expert who'd, who'd play some stuff. You know, he'd be like, he'd play it. Then you'd hear the. Uh, did you hear it? Did you hear how they said, <laughs> said that, Hail uh, Satan, Hail Satan <laughs> yeah, the Lord I mean... of all darkness? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. Can you play it again? But... <laughs> Don't listen to it too many times. You might become corrupt. <laughs> I don't hear it. Yeah, I mean, it, it was crazy. And then Pat Boone comes out with a with a record called In a Metal Mood. And I mean, it's Pat Boone, and he's coming out, and he's looking like Satan. And you're going, what is it? The world's falling apart. You know, you, you can't help but think that way. Uh, but in, <laughs> uh, anyway. I'm sure there were people making fun of it because it just is so ridiculous. Like, when we say it now, it sounds completely out of this world and, like, unbelievable. But at the time... There were a lot of people who believed that this was an actual threat. And I'm sorry, but there are so many. I guess this is how the news like distorts threats. You know what I mean? It makes people afraid of like non-issues. Like, okay, I remember just a few months ago, there was uh, a thing like this or summer or last summer about how the lemons in restaurants are dirty and they may contain bacteria because people cut them without washing up their hands and they don't wash the lemons and you could get sick from the lemons. Well, meanwhile, there are wars going on. The government's stealing your money. The dollar is deflating. Your home is losing its value. I mean, like it is such a distraction from the the real issues <laughs> that are actually going on and this seems like nothing more than the, that same exact thing but how do, how do people like end up believing this stuff you know that's that's really what i wonder is like, i, I want to know how it became a thing to hang food off the side of your water glass that's what i want to know <laughs> i mean this wouldn't be a problem if people i mean nobody puts a cantaloupe on there what is the deal is it just a bunch of cheapskates that want a bunch of lemons so they can squeeze lemon and get the sugar and mix up their own lemonade what is it <laughs> inquiring minds want to know but yeah how do people believe this stuff brian i think it's because people start to scare them about it at a very young age and uh you know our minds are basically made to pay attention to threats because that was a survival mechanism back in the day so i was talking to a guy today who uh, had heard about bitcoins didn't know how to get them he asked me well how do you get bitcoins I told him cashintocoins.com, not because they're a sponsor of the show, but because it works. I, I really think that they're the they're they're fast, they're safe, they're easy. It's co- completely legal, inexpensive. You're gonna get your coins. There's a lot of scammy sites out there, and there's gonna be more as time goes by that says wire us money, and we'll be sure that you get your bitcoins, and then you don't. Um, cashintocoins.com. I have used them. I have used them a, a great deal. Ian, you've used them. I sure have more and, than once, and uh, I'm confident. That that you're going to get your bitcoins. They are, um, you know, they're, they're they're working on growing their business. They're not uh, some, you know, flash in the pan, uh, fly by night kind of operation. And uh, he asked me, this is kind of a question that we don't really answer here on Free Talk Live. He asked me, how how much should I get? Like, because people think that you should get one bitcoin, and you can get one bitcoin. Or you can get less than one Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. You can get any amount of money um, that you want. I think you should be putting a certain amount of money away every week. I would recommend 5 to 10%. 
Just put it away every week. Now, some of that can go into Bitcoin. Some of it can go into gold and silver. Some of it can go into other sorts of investments like stocks or whatever. Um, you know, you've got to make, you've got to decide what your portfolio is going to look like and uh, the kind of di- diversification you need to have. But you should be putting some kind of money away. All you need to, to do, cash into coins.com, is a Wells Fargo, a Bank of America, or a credit union with shared branching right in your town. Likely. You have one of those things. Uh, you're going to need a computer, internet connection, and uh, you're going need to need to be able to send a picture of the receipt, so maybe some kind of smartphone or something. Cashintocoins.com. And in the last segment, we were talking to uh, Andrew, and actually there was a little glitch there, so we didn't even hear the music come up. And uh, But I want to get back to what Andrew was talking about here. And the question I had asked Andrew is, um, Andrew... Let me let me see. Just let me know if I've got this right. I would just want to um, encapsulate your position here. So the idea is is that um, uh, that you believe that since uh, God created us, that uh, you know He instilled in us certain values, and those values are around commitment to um, to our partners. And so people tend to stay in relationships that perhaps they shouldn't stay in simply because we have been told. Uh, you know, our, our genes have been informed uh, by God to, you know, be predisposed towards commitment. Is that the right? Is that the concept? Um, yeah, I was thinking that um, in, in the beginning there, and then you were you were talking about you know different cultures. Yeah. So, so I'm 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 thinking that um, our culture, you know, dating back a couple of hundred years. Um, was was um, base, basically monogamous and and basically a lifetime uh, mar- marriage or commitment was was a lifetime thing, right? Yeah, that's what uh, you know. That's that's how my history reads. Sure, I imagine there was a more and, f- more fence jumping going on than people are care to care to write down in the history books, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and then. Sorry, I'm still thinking here. Um, one of the things I looked you up. Know, okay, it's, it's time. One of the Sorry, things I looked up here was is that there. Uh, you know, I was just quickly during the break said. Uh, you know, there's an article from Beliefnet.com and says that many plural uh, marriages uh, existed and um, have ex- exist in Africa, the Middle East, Asia. Um, this is a, from a professor of social and cult- cultural anthropology. Well, I mean, it it seems well, it doesn't well, seem so complicated the... to me, Mark. Um, it's it's our job as Christians to to go and help these people and show them the light. <laughs> white, white man's burden is that the idea? I think so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's worked out so well. <laughs> well, well, I think the reason that that um, these so-called losers um, are staying with, or, or that these girls are staying with the so-called losers is um partially because of the um historical um belief system you know based on christianity um or whatever religion you have it could be um that I, I don't know whether it's genetic or whether it's culturally informed, but I think it's uh, you know it's probably the reason that, that people do it is just because they just either you know they're, they're predisposed in some manner or another. And Andrew, I do appreciate the call. Thank you so much. Eight fifty five four fifty free. It seems to me, Mark, that uh, you know my short answer is is a, I think a little separate from you guys's, but it's that it's what you were saying about were you saying something about faking it, sort of faking it until you make it. As far as what a relationship? Yeah, that's a strategy I've heard uh, that that a man can use is to to fake it until he makes it. So you 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 start faking the the success, and that turns you into a success. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Uh, the the loser. Really, what I'm getting at though is that women understand women, and men understand men. So a woman might not know that she's with a loser. And the same is with a man. A man might not know that he's with a a a loser. You know, and this is something that um, I think is it's very easy to look down on somebody who's getting out of a bad relationship. Is like, you know, it's not like 
I mean, you were with this person for how long? How did you know she wasn't going to treat you like this during the divorce? I mean, for God's sake, some some men had fine divorces. Why can't you have a, a you know a divorce where? There isn't so much turmoil. Why does you know? Why did she take all your money? Why did she take uh, you know the, the kids and all that stuff? Didn't you know this was the kind of person you were getting into a relationship with? Mm-hmm. And I think that people either you know they willfully blind themselves or they just don't know. They're just uninformed. I don't know if it's the I don't know if the sexes actually know. By the way, I think that uh, people don't. Some people are better at hiding who they are than than others. I'm confident. That if things didn't work out with my wife, that she would be reasonably fair and just in the uh, in whatever you know sort of proceedings went on. Um, but uh-huh. I, you know, I, I've seen many people who seem like you know normal folks that have reasonably good judgment that get out of relationships. And my God, how in the hell were you with that person? <laughs> They're evil and. Uh, you know, is it is it because they've just because they made them the the other person so angry that now they want to get back? But these the way relationships break up, it's so sad, especially if there's children involved. Yeah, well, it's just like you were saying before about how breakups just on the face of it they suck, and and when when you break up with somebody, especially if you're the 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 dumpy, there's. There, you'll get some anger. Anger will come, yeah. come, for, for, will will bubble up inside you, and you will try and and recognize it and think to yourself, "Well, that's silly. This person was was wonderful to me. It just didn't work out." But that anger's still there. Yeah, and you still think of scenarios in your head about how you'll use that anger to hurt to hurt that person. Yeah, if, if, even if it's just uh, being successful, I find that uh, you know, for me, when I when I f- if experience what you're talking, when I have experienced what you're talking about. I just say to myself, well, you know, I'll just be more successful and that will, uh, you know, show them that, you know, they gave up something really good. Yeah. And that's that I recognize that. And that seems healthy to me. Well, if <laughs> it's taking a negative emotion and pointing it in a positive way. But um, I, you know, there's there's just nothing good about it. Whenever some all ideas, all of the other people's ideas stink and all of my ideas are great. And that's why breakups uh, really, you know, they weren't they weren't your idea in a lot of cases. Even if you're the one breaking up, you know, it's going to be a painful, unhappy scenario. Uh-huh. So and, and I think you should I think people should think about that when they're getting into relationships. If you're getting in and you're not really, um, you know, you don't think this is the right thing for you necessarily, you know, don't don't deepen the commitment level because you're only sending the wrong messages to that other individual. Amen, brother. Dave, uh, listening to KGOE out in Eureka. Go ahead with your thoughts. You just barely had a chance to kind of get some uh, to get started. Well, I'm uh, a retired psychologist, and I go back to a time that was Maslow, Rogers, Rita Warren. Most psychologists study uh, abnormalities dysfunctional personalities, what's wrong with us. But these folks had touched upon what would be a super high-functioning human being. What would they be all about? What would be what they called uh, self-actualizing or fully functioning people? What would that be? And uh, well, some of the things they found is that uh, the self-actualizing person radiates a joy. They have a happiness. It's a, a delight to be around. Uh, one another quote there was from H. L. Mencken. He he died just before the 20th century began, but he was a brilliant thinker and speaker. And he said, "There is only the only good is happiness, and the time to be happy is now. Hmm. The place to be happy is here, and the way to be happy is to help make other people happy." Oh, yes. Absolutely agreed, one hundred percent. Yeah. Uh huh. So we're looking for these simple solutions. That are wrong, but you know it's easy to say uh, government's good. No, 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 no. Is government bad? No, 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 no. Are the people that are government good or bad? Yes, they tend to be that. And I think we got more than our fair share of very ill-motivated people running our government have been for some time. So I I think I, I agree with you. Um, and this is so the uh, the H L Mencken quote that you had uh, previously said was um, that essentially that there are, uh, there's always a simple solution for a problem and that's always wrong or something to that effect. 
He said, for every complex problem, there is a simple solution, and it's wrong. And I have heard this quote, and it's employed um, often, and oftentimes it's employed against uh, libertarians because we say uh, things like, yeah, well, the government's the problem because to most problems we can point. But that's not accurate. It's the force that's the problem. Agreed. It's the monopoly is uh, well is really the the issue is the enforced monopoly. But um, there's also I, I think that this uh, you know there's it can be applied sometimes and sometimes it's true and sometimes it's false. Sometimes the answer is easy, and um, it's it, it reminds me of the Bible verse that says something to the effect of. Wise men become fools before the word of the Lord or something like that. I don't have it here in front of me. But it's a very easy way to dismiss logic. The Bible dismisses logic by saying that wise wise men are fools before the word of the Lord or something. So, you know, whatever you're all you and all your logic, it's nonsense. We're not going to listen to that. But I think what the biggest problem with government is this. The government, if if it was a government of uh, of everybody's a good person, then you don't need a government. If everybody's a bad person, then the last thing you need is a government because it will be full of bad people. And if people are, in fact, um, ruled by incentives, then the people that are most sociopathic and most sly and cunning and, and evil are the ones that are going to get into the, the area of government because it is a monopoly and it's a, it allows control. It allows one to become very, very wealthy. I think that we have a a broken system that has been evolved from the master-servant paradigm over the course of 9,000 years. I like your insights very much. I understand there is a small rural agricultural country in Polynesia, and it's ruled by a queen, and she is a very benevolent, loving human being who walks about with her people asking, how is your life going? What is right? What is wrong? Can we help? What is good? What can we do? What can we not? And it is a very happy, very well at high functioning period. Apparently, this one person. So, can we arrive at the simple conclusion? What we really need is a a, a queen, a dictator. You and- know, there's an argument to be made that a benevolent uh, dictator or you know a monarch is a better system than democracy. There's a, I think there's a strong argument for that. Yeah, but, Hans Hoppe made that argument, absolutely. But, uh, but on the other hand, in a lot of cases when power exists, it does tend to attract uh, corrupt people and violent and dangerous people, and that's, it well, that's has now. the it status of the world. Right Dave, good call, man. Thanks for the call. appreciate your thoughts tonight. 855-450-FREE. The reason why he said that, too, which I think if, if somebody's never heard that before, they might say, what? Hoppe? You know, yeah, well, yeah, the reason why he made that, argument that a benevolent monarchy could theoretically be better than a democracy is that politicians in a democracy have no ownership over it. So it's like the stolen car thing where you try to get as much out of it as you can mm-hmm. and then you dump it on the side of the road. Or maybe a better uh, analogy would be the the scene in the movie Goodfellas where they go into business with the restaurant and steal everything they can from it and then burn it down for the insurance money. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's democracy, you know, in the monarchy where it's in the family, they would want to be able to pass something, um, you know, wor- worth something onto the next generation. Uh, the, one of the traps of democracy is the idea that you are the government, that, you know, <laughs> you have you have some kind of control. And what you have is, is you have a tie breaking vote because that's the only vote that counts, the tie breaking vote. If if it's tied, then your vote counts. It, or matters, I guess is the term. It, it, it counts anyway. They can count the votes. Um, so if it's 10 to 1 um, is the vote, your vote counted, but it didn't matter because 9 to 1, 10 to 1, and 11 to 1 all have the same result, um, which is that that politician gets in. So it, in that circumstance, you're, you're, you're tricked into believing that you have some kind of control as far as the government goes. When it comes to a queen or a king or a monarch – at the very least, you can say, look, this is what they are doing. Mm. Because oftentimes, oh, yeah. many times, uh, people will say, no, no, we're the government. It's not what they're doing. It's what we're doing. Right. I'm not doing this. I'm not flying remote control airplanes around the world and killing kids. I'm not doing it. But that's, You can't yeah. blame me. No, we didn't go to Afghanistan. They did. And because you say we, it empowers them. 
Stop saying we, it's them. You can join their team, you can put on their clothes, you can put the flag on your shoulder, and you can kill kids with remote control airplanes. But then you are them, you are not us. And even when there is some distinction made, there's still this, I'd call it a self-fulfilling cliche, uh, we got the government we deserved. You know, with that kind of thinking, yeah, I guess you did, because that's not really thinking at all. You know, that's just a cliche that people... Uh, used to minimize discomfort. But that that we thing is so important because it's a kind of neuro-linguistic programming that allows people to empathize with a group that that they're not in. When we decided to invade Vietnam is a a, a very poor use of a pronoun. If Mm -hmm. the decision to invade Vietnam was made behind the closed doors of a room of people you've never heard of advising a president you didn't vote for, that's not you and that's not me. So let's not use we. The only thing I would take issue with is the uh, your, your critique of the statement about we got the government we deserved, or you, or people get the government they deserve, or whatever, however you want to say it. I think that it's generally true. Uh, I mean, obviously, we don't feel, we on the show mm-hmm. here, don't feel like that might be true for us, because we've moved beyond the idea of the states, and we sure would like to not have that government anymore, but collectively, the mass consciousness of people in this plot of land are obedient, they do what they're told, they don't ever stand up for their rights, and so they get what they deserve in that case, because... Well, you're going to get what you've always gotten if all you do is just kowtow and bow down to master and kiss the boot. You're just going to keep getting kicked. You're going to keep getting new regulations, new taxes, new things to uh, to obey. I I think we totally agree. I think if a person thinks in empty cliches, yeah, I guess they deserve to be lorded over by a group of people who disrespect their intelligence. We'll come back with more here in moments uh, because you could argue that everything that we see is just a manifestation of what we believe collectively. Go to BitcoinStore.com and get more than half a million items that are ready for immediate shipment right now. Uh, they're largely the c- consumer electronics uh, variety. There's some tools there, too. And they're at a 0% markup. This is, this is true wholesale from uh, Ingram Micro, which is the world's largest consumer electronics distributor, because Bitcoin Store is – their their goal is to get people using Bitcoins as a currency, not to uh, necessarily you know, make money on profit. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with profit, and I'm sure they wouldn't, would agree with me. It's just you, know, you have to have a unique selling proposition, and theirs is, is that you can use Bitcoins and get a discount over pretty much any place else in, on the Internet on most items. Go check them out, bitcoinstore.com. It's the easiest way to convert your Bitcoins into real-world items, and nobody can really track what you necessarily buy from Bitcoin Store. You don't have to give your real name or anything other than the address where you want the, the stuff sent. It's bitcoinstore.com. <laughs> to start out this hour... With a story from, uh, let's see, CNN, KTLA 5, uh, that apparently there's a man who is a Christian preacher, or rather was a Christian preacher, who has decided that he's going atheist. Story from KTLA.com in the past, at times like these when his life floundered and frayed around the edges, Ryan Bell often prayed for help. But this year, at least, the pastor has resolved not to. For the next 12 months, Bell says he will live as though there is no God. He will not pray, go to church, read the Bible for inspiration, trust in divine providence, or hope in things unseen. He's taking the opposite of a leap of faith. Okay, living as though there is no God. Okay, fine. Just saying that he actually is an atheist, though, I mean, that's... Unless he's I, heard finally... an, I heard an interview with him, and uh, the guy's pretty much an atheist. Right. It's a free fall into the depths of religious doubt. Bell's intellectual experiment, which began January 1st, has already borne dramatic consequences. In less than a week, he lost two jobs teaching at Christian schools near his home in L.A. Well, really? <laughs> He's 42 and has been a pastor or in seminary for most of his adult life, now faces the prospect of poverty taking odd jobs to feed his two daughters, ages 10 and 13. Yeah, I can't imagine he's got a lot of skills there if he's just just, just a preacher. Yep. There have been times, usually late at night or early in the morning, when I think, what have I done? It really undermines the whole structure of your life, your career, your family, he said. Just as a man of God began to despair, he found help from an unlikely source, the atheists. The seeds of Bell's journey were planted last March when he was asked to resign as pastor of Seventh-day Adventist congregation in Hollywood. Now, Seventh-day Adventists, are those uh, literalists? Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. 
Uh, he had advocated for the church to allow gay and lesbian leaders, campaigned against California's same-sex marriage ban, and disputed deeply held church doctrines about the end times. Eventually, his theological and political liberalism became more than leaders in the denomination could bear, and he lost his career of 19 years. His faith was shaken, and for a while, Bell became a religious nomad. On the positive side, losing his church job gave him the freedom to question the foundations of his religious belief without the fear of troubling his congregation. He says, I could finally pursue those questions that had been bouncing around in my head. Isn't that interesting that for the Mm. longest time he'd had questions but had felt uncomfortable with even asking them seriously and considering them because he was surrounded by other people who believed as he did. It wasn't until her deathbed that Mother Teresa admitted that she was an atheist. Did she admit that on her deathbed? Oh, yeah. Wow. It was in a journal and it was admitted. That's fascinating. On the positive side, losing his church job, again, gave him that freedom. He said, then after lunch with a friend, he thought, what if I tried out atheism and lived with no religion at all for a year? It's like when you go to a movie and you suspend disbelief for three hours to get inside the story. I'm suspending my belief in God to see what atheism is all about. Bell, who still holds holds ministerial credentials in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, thought it would be a neat little intellectual experiment. He would interview atheists, attend gatherings of non-believers, and read through the canon of skeptics. Friedrich Nietzsche, Baruch Spinoza, Richard Dawkins, and Christopher Hitchens, among others. When friends got sick, instead of praying, as was his immediate response previously, Bell said he would do something tangible and practical and supportive for them. He would start a blog called Year Without God, the website yearwithoutgod.com, and write about his faithless journey. Bell thought maybe a few people would read his posts, follow along, and offer advice or criticism. He says, I didn't realize even four days ago how difficult it would be for some people to embrace me while I was embracing this journey of open inquiry into the question of God's existence. He wrote on Saturday, the first signs of trouble came around the turn of the new year just after Bell announced his experiment online. Texts and emails arrived from friends, family, and colleagues with the ominous phrase, we need to talk. (laughs) Well, this is, um, I mean, faith is the foundation of religion. So when you're in one of these, uh, uh, these mainstream religions, uh, you know, the ones that don't allow for much elbow room as far as what you believe, questioning any tenant of the faith is going to... You're a heretic, right? Right. People are going to step in. They're going to talk about it. I mean... Time for an intervention. Well, frankly, in the liberty movement, it's very similar if somebody doesn't embrace uh, liberty on a particular issue. You know, everybody steps in. They, you know, look. They start Mm -hmm. making their points. There's a difference. And the differences in the liberty movement between the liberty movement and the religion is that... Is that in the liberty movement, right? If you're if you don't embrace liberty, that means that you want to tell someone else what to do and how they live their life on a particular issue. You want to use violent force against someone on a particular issue. Or you can, so that's a huge difference, right, between that person and a person who is an atheist or, or versus religious. Religious people, if they have faith, faith, the only thing that they're doing is that they think they know better. They think they know how the universe works. They've got it figured out because they have the right belief. Because they read the right book and they happened to be born into the right family that believed that religion, whereas with a status versus an a, um, a status versus libertarian, that the person who believes in a status particular issue, I mean, maybe they're part of the liberty com- community, but they've got their one issue that they believe that the state is absolutely necessary for. Well, on that one particular issue, they're violent and want to hurt people. That's not that is not incorrect. However, there's still tenets of the liberty movement. Um, you know, look, we, we believe in nonviolence on all these issues, and so therefore, when somebody believes in you know contrary, the you know the step the stepping in comes comes into play. It's it's the same. It's very similar. Yeah, but a lot of the people in the movement aren't willing to ostracize somebody. So, for instance, while there are, there is yes, a slim. Are. No, no, no. There's a slim, a small amount of people in the liberty movement who are ostracizing towards a minarchist, somebody who believes in small government or a very minimal amount of, of state. There, those people exist, right. but they are not the majority well, in the movement. There are people who will have a discussion with you, but they're not going to turn you out. They're not going to not be friends with you. They're not going to work with you on a variety of different issues. Whereas in They're the, not going to tell you you're going to burn in a lake of fire. Right? In a lot of cases <laughs> in the Christian world, the, their people are very, very intolerant of somebody going atheist. And, and that's why some people who are Christians are very afraid to come out of the closet as an atheist because they're where they're going to lose all their friends. And for good reason, because they know how intolerant 
intolerant these people can be. I was concerned about what was going to happen when I came out as an atheist when I was 16 years old. I didn't know what my parents were going to do about that. Turned out they were supportive of me and they you know, said they'd love me no matter what I chose to do. So that was good. But some people did not have it as easy. Some people, their parents would treat them like you know, they'd come out as gay or something like that because some the same types of parents are as intolerant of that. So atheists I see a lot a of parallels. Yeah. Oh, you mean between the liberty, liberty? Community? Yeah, it's it, yes. I mean, okay. I, 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 like I said, I see where you're coming from. The people in the liberty community are concerned for people who embrace violence on an issue, but that doesn't mean they're going to turn the person away. I don't think. I've not seen that personally. So anyway, going on here with uh, the story. So he gets these emails from his so-called friends saying, "We need to talk." Kurt Fredrickson, a friend of Bell's and associate dean of ministry at Fuller Theological Seminary in uh, Pasadena, California, sent one of those messages. Bell, a graduate of Fuller, had taught in the school's doctorate development program for the past year, but Fredrickson told his friend that his sabbatical from faith meant a sabbatical from the seminary as well. He said, from an academic standpoint, even as a personal journey, I'm really excited about what Ryan is doing. Uh, he said that there is no honest person of faith who doesn't have doubts, and Ryan is being courageous enough to take a step back and assess his life. This is bold stuff. And I would say it's a fairly unusual sentiment for somebody. I guess he wasn't necessarily in the evangelical church. That was more of a, a seminary. But uh, let's see. There, but Bell's job at Fuller was to help students through their doctoral dissertations, a particularly stressful time, Fredrickson said, when seminarians need to lean on a person with a strong faith. He said they're also flying solo for the first time, and we want to not only teach but to nurture souls as well. Ryan says he's going to be an atheist for a year is a little contradictory to that. He said he'd be a help. He'd be happy to talk to Bell when his experiment is over. Especially a year. It's like what? So, what do you think about this? Uh, and uh, can you become an atheist temporarily? <laughs> it does well. I mean, some people do it, but I don't think they were ever actually atheists. I was I temporarily an atheist for a decade of my life. <laughs> do you think I was not really an atheist for that time? I do think that you were not really an atheist. Really. For that time. <laughs> CryptoKit.com, I would highly recommend if you are like me and very frustrated with PGP. I find PGP to be absolutely almost intolerable until now. That's, so I guess I should say I found it to be intolerable until CryptoKit. PGP is? PGP stands for Pretty Good Privacy. I think it's a form of encryption. Yeah, it's a very popular form of encryption. And you're right; it is arduous to deal with. Huge hassle. CryptoKit solves that problem. CryptoKit's not just a tool that allows you to easily encrypt and decrypt messages with PGP encoding, but it's also an instant Bitcoin wallet and a secure messaging system. Plus, it's got Bitcoin news and charts all rolled up into one easy-to-use Google Chrome browser extension. And you know what? It's free. So yeah, go to CryptoKit. Yep, K-R-Y-P-T-O-K-I-T, CryptoKit.com, and you can download it there for your Google Chrome. Again, only available for Chrome at the moment. But when I say easy... You start up CryptoKit for the first time, and you are asked to move your mouse around a window for just a moment to generate a random Bitcoin address. Then you can fund that wallet from any source, and at that point, you can make Bitcoin transactions on the fly right from within your browser. Because normally when you're doing Bitcoin online, you've got to pull up the Bitcoin software or go to some website where you've got a Bitcoin wallet. And there's usually a lot of you know a few steps involved in sending somebody Bitcoin. But CryptoKit makes it so it's integrated within your browsing experience. Very easy stuff. Crypto kit.com k-r-y-p-t-o-k-i-t dot com skype will not be of use to you if you want to talk to our first guest because she's on skype and she is amanda billy rock amanda welcome back to free talk live thanks ian and you are calling from manchester tonight is that right sure am you're one of the newer movers uh, as part of the free state project like as in the last year you moved up right after pork fest if i recall correctly Shortly thereafter, yeah. Yeah, and it's been a like a wild ride for you so far, at least uh, based on my observations of some of the, uh, the the Facebook posts and some of the videos that you've made. I mean, excluding the fact that you were arrested and charged with ridiculous nonsense, which, by the way, there's really great news about your arrest. The, the two worst charges that they've hit you with of the five charges have been dropped, including the felony uh, drug possession charge. So I just wanted to get that news out there. So hooray for that. Congratulations on that happening. Thanks. Yeah. And Amanda, you're um, you're slightly famous, right? Like you're a YouTube star or something like that. And you've got a, a got a channel. And that's that's sort of what uh, the relevance here is, is you've got quite a following. 
Um, uh, thank you. I hope so. <laughs> Tell people about your channel. Sure. Uh, I can be found just Amanda Billy Rock. <laughs> the cool thing about having a, a weird online name is that you don't have to compete with anyone else for search results. So right. wherever you go, I'll come up first. So um, my channel has evolved considerably. I started about two years ago, um, just trying to get Ron Paul elected, really. And since then, I've evolved through uh, explanatory videos of Austrian economics to videos revealing what's going on here in the free state. Which I've really appreciated because, as I told you uh, personally when you'd visited Keene, thank you for covering some of the stuff that's going on in the other areas of New Hampshire. There's a real dearth of uh, of any amount of coverage as to the things that are happening there. So you've, like I said, it's been a wild ride. You've been out cop blocking. You've been out at uh, political uh, events like the, uh, the the Bearcat situation in Con- uh, Concord where they're trying to get this police tank uh, approved and you reported on that. I mean, you've just been all over the map. And now I know you've been talking about uh, gearing up to do some jury nullification outreach there in Manchester. Yeah, I would sure like to. And it really hit home with me when I realized that I was faced with the prospect of, you know, having a jury decide my fate. And those people who have done the outreach, who have notified people that, hey, you don't have to convict or acquit on an unjust law. You can say, hey, this is an unjust law and it shouldn't be on the books. I definitely want to take part of that. And there was actually a hearing yesterday afternoon in Concord. Uh, One of the committees was hearing a bill to require the judges to give the jury nullification instruction. The current law says that at the request of the defense that the judge can give the instruction or that he may give the instruction, this bill would require that the judge read a sentence explaining to the jury that if you find the law to be unjust, even if the uh, prosecution proves beyond a reasonable doubt, you may acquit. Yeah, I mean, it. I guess it's a step in the right direction. I can't really hope for too much of any good to come from state court systems because the prosecutors are working for the judges. They're all on the same payroll. So, I mean, for the time being, is it a good step? Maybe. Um, but I just look forward to the private polycentric legal system of the free society. So when I, well, the reason why I wanted to have you on the show tonight was you made a post to your Facebook page, which seems to have quite a few followers because you get co- constant comments uh, on whatever it is that you post. You made a post about how you were sorry about regards to uh, your feelings or in the way that you talked about minarchists in the past. And I don't have the quote in front of me. I, I guess I'm not prepared for that. But uh, I just kind of thought it was an interesting post considering I feel like I went through some similar motions uh, when I moved up here to New Hampshire. I was burned out on the political system, having done plenty of political action down in Florida and basically felt like I'd spun my wheels and really just gotten nowhere and I came up here and I was really burned out and really frustrated with it and basically giving up on it. And I was convinced, but it took me a while that there was this uh, gentleman, uh, early mover for the Free State Project named Dennis, who was calling in regularly to Free Talk Live to kind of update us on some of the political successes going on here in New Hampshire, thanks largely in part to Free State Project participants and, of course, the great New Hampshire liberty lovers that are, you know, have been born here or lived here a long time. And uh, eventually he convinced me that political action is possible here in New Hampshire. It's still slow. It's still arduous. It's expensive and frustrating. But actually you can make an impact. And I'm wondering, was it the the marijuana legalization uh, bill that came up this week that was voted positively by the state legislature where they set uh, they made history for being the first state uh, state legislature ever to or the first i think legislative body ever period to vote in favor of marijuana legalization and also and or also the uh, the license plate scanners bill that went down in flames a vote of 250 to 97 meaning that new hampshire is the only state of all 50 states that does not have these license plate scanners were those a factor in your change of heart uh, tell me more about what uh, inspired that post on your facebook page You know, Ian, I think that those really uh, could have been the catalysts for something that's been brewing in my mind for some time, which is just that for my own selfish reasons, I want to trigger the move for the free state. I want to see liberty in my lifetime, and I want people to pour into this area, and I want neighbors 
who, you, you know, we can provide mutual defense for one another, be that from public or private criminals. I want that to happen yesterday. <laughs> and so, you know, if if it takes, uh, oh, it was also a Facebook post from Carla Garrick. Um, she had said in a comment section somewhere That's that- That's the president of the Free State Project for listeners that don't know. Go ahead. Yes, uh, the president of the Free State Project made a post where she said New Hampshire is the place where minarchists and anarchists work together to shrink the size of government. And I really look up to Carla and her leadership means a lot to me. So I thought, you know what? Um, There is no reason for me to act, you know, exclusionary in any way because we need 4,000, approximately 800 more signers. And I want anyone and everyone who's interested in leading a freer life. So, you know, my hands are open and I'm I'm ready to hold hands with whoever's ready to go. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that and, and as somebody else pointed out, I think on your comment section that minarchists are just a few steps away from becoming full-blown voluntarists. And I think yep. that we it's the right thing to do is to embrace them and co- converse with them and be friends. Well, I, I take it one step further. So I'm the show's minarchist and have been for, for many years. But I don't actually – like I think that there's no, no, there's no distinction between voluntarists and minarchists. And, and I'm going – because it's just a matter of conversation. It takes a few well-placed questions with somebody who can't see the world without a monopolistic state um, to turn them into a voluntarist. It doesn't take much at all. There are very few people that are, in fact, a minarchist. And the question you ask is something to the effect of, hey, you, I can... I know you have this idea for the way you think the government should work, and that's cool and everything. But the question is... I don't agree with you, and you think that voluntary actions are great. Do you think I should be able to do what I want on my own land? Can I get together with some other people with, you know, contiguous land, and we can make our own little society? And as long as we don't bother you, are you going to force us to pay for your schools and your roads and all these other things that we don't use and we don't want? And at that point, they almost always say, well, yeah, as long as you're leaving us alone. Because they're always secessionists, too, the, the minarchist types. You think so? All right. Is that, has that been your experience? It's my experience. Uh, I mean, a lot of them are, but a lot of them don't think that you should be able to secede from their secession. So they're not true secessionists. There's a, there might be a few of them, a handful of them, but I think that most people can. Most people just haven't gotten over the hurdle of cops, courts, roads, uh, and and paid killers. So Amanda, can you stick with us for another segment? Uh, you know, I wish I could, oh, but I'm headed so out to some free state shenanigans this evening. What is going on? Quickly, can you tell us in like five seconds? Yeah, uh, some friends lost their heat a few days ago, and it's back, so we're having a summer in January. Sounds like a good time. More coming up. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Free Talk Live's Weekly Digest. This is an independent project by Benjamin Bartholomew. If you like this, you'll find his Bitcoin address and more episodes at weekly.freetalklive.com.